Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, hey, and welcome back. In episode 44 this time, we're going to be talking about physical fitness, you know, exercise, and how that fits in or should fit in to your personal safety and preparedness plan. And, you know, before we get started, I know what you're thinking, you know, what what gives you the ability to talk on this subject? And I'll say, well, you're right. I'm not an expert. You know, it's not my profession necessarily, but I, like a lot of people, have exercised and am exercising. And so, you know, I think I have some experience to talk to that. And, you know, going back, I can even remember in middle school and particularly high school working out in the gym, you know lifting those clanky weights on the universal uh, gym sets and even some free weights too along the way and working out in the gym and college and then later in life doing it all again and you know i can say that for me uh you know at 45 46 i was probably well i know i was in the best shape of my life because of the exercise routines that i'd put together for myself as well as the activities that I was participating in at the time as well. You know, I think it was probably Krav Maga that I got started in. I think going back as early as 2009, I think the first time, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the first seminar was 2008, but certainly getting involved with Krav was 2009 or so, 2010. No, it was earlier than that. Anyway, uh, it was Krav that I really began to understand and and see the benefits that working out and routine exercise had, um, and and not just from a personal body composition, you know, building muscle, losing weight. Those were certainly benefits, but the light bulbs really went off in my head uh, relative to what f- being physically fit and exercise and what that role that played in my self-defense plan in my personal safety plan and it was at that time that I really started taking it seriously so you know 45 46 not to date myself but I will uh, I was in the best shape of my life I trimmed down some I gained some muscle and I was doing things from a cardio perspective that I had never done before and a and an anaerobic uh, perspective as well um calisthenics weightlifting battle ropes gym you know uh slam balls all kinds of crazy activities so my point is is i've done a lot over the years but i'm also human and i'm an average joe uh, like i think a lot of probably our listeners might be as well and so with that being said you know i've definitely taken my time off Maybe I didn't maintain the discipline that I should have, or I didn't maintain the discipline that I should have. So I took, you know, sometimes months and then that turns in, you know, you take a couple of days off and that quickly turns into two weeks. It turns into two months. And then next thing you know, you're two or three years since the last time you picked up a weight or went on a walk. So I've been guilty of that multiple times over my lifetime. And, you know, certainly in your youth, you take your physical prowess, if you will, and your your fitness uh, for granted at times. I know I did. But as I got older, you know, it becomes more important, or at least you give it more thought. But I've been guilty of taking the time off. But the point is, is that I always seem to go back to it. And that's where I'm kind of at today, right? After taking a break, uh, an embarrassing amount of time off, you know, a couple of years, uh, I'm back at it again. So I think, you know, I have some basic experience uh, that I want to talk to you about uh, that I've experienced myself. And then while my certification has long since uh, expired, and what I mean by that, it's been a few years, uh, I was once a NASM certified personal trainer, as well as a NASM certified group personal training specialist. So I've got that knowledge, and I've done that in my past life as well. So that's kind of the intro and how I feel like I can talk about this with you today. You know, to me, I've always been fascinated by the human body and what it's capable of, you know, its ability to protect itself, its ability to heal. It's miraculous. And it's just a, I've always said, it's just an amazing machine. And I've always been fascinated uh, by it. So I thought just as an experiment, if nothing else, 
that as we go through this particular podcast, I would give you some assignments along the way that a makes this podcast a little interactive perhaps, but maybe by tasking you with some things to go look up on your own, that it might make you as interested in things as I am and just see things in a new light. And maybe you go dig a bit deeper for yourself but the takeaway is here is the importance of that physical fitness and doing exercise. So I'd like to start by talking about the types of exercise. And I'm not talking about like individual exercises like, you know, climbing stairs or jumping rope or jogging. I mean, when we talk about types of exercise, there are two. The first one you're probably very familiar with, it's aerobic. And most of us know that commonly by cardio, right? Getting our cardio in. <clears throat> and what does that mean? Well, in aerobic exercise, uh, you've, you're getting oxygen-rich blood to the major muscle groups, and that's what's helping you burn fat. So you can think of aerobic as um, using oxygen for extended periods of time in a steady state, um, and because you're burning oxygen, you're able to burn all your fuels. You're able to burn fat, you know, which is why cardio is known for being such a great weight loss tool, for an example. But you're burning fats, you're burning carbohydrates, and you're burning proteins with that oxygen that's being supplied. And, you know, some examples of uh, aerobic exercises that you're familiar with is walking, jogging swimming, and even long-distance bicycling, for example. The other type that, you know, there was a point in time where I always got confused and mixed up and I wasn't really clear on the differences, but the other type of exercise is anaerobic exercise. And anaerobic literally means without oxygen. But the other thing that you can think about that's easy to remember is really the main thing with anaerobic activities is that you're building muscles um, as compared to aerobic or cardio you're burning fat and the other way to think of anaerobic is that it's very high energy for a very short period of time and it's a shorter period of time because you don't you're not able to burn oxygen or you're not burning oxygen your body starts using the glucose. There's a little bit of glucose in your blood. And of course, glucose is, you know, another name that we're more familiar with is blood sugar. But we're burning, primarily burning glucose that's found in the muscles. And I'll, this is our first interactive activity. I will ask you to go look up the organs that are responsible for managing glucose. And I'll give you a hint. There are two of them. But through glycolysis, that's our big word for today, which is the burning of glucose, uh, lactic acid is built up in anaerobic activities. And that's why you get so burned out, so gassed and tired so quickly is because your body's not working off of oxygen. It's burning what little bit of glucose is stored in those muscles. And that's kind of what happens. Now, this is another opportunity I'm going to talk about is that one of the ways that your body creates that energy, it's called ATP energy. A is an apple, T is in Tom, P is in people, ATP energy. One of the ways that that energy is formed is burning the glucose that's in the muscles. So go look up ATP energy. I think you'll find that interesting. And some examples of anaerobic activities are one we're very familiar with, weightlifting or resistance training. There's sprints, there's plyometrics, like jumping up and off those boxes like you see in all the CrossFit gyms, as example, jumping rope. And then, you know, one other is HIIT, which is high intensity interval training. And we'll talk more about that here in a few minutes. But uh, when it comes to anaerobic, you know, weightlifting is the big one we're all familiar with. But can you think of any other activities that are anaerobic. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about the benefits of physical activity, exercise, being physically fit. And you know, something kind of scary, but it makes sense, and I'm not surprised. 
It is said that physical inactivity is a top cause of mortality. And I kind of get that. It makes sense, right? Especially if you consider that heart disease is one of the top killers, for example. And we know that heart disease can be at least somewhat controlled with regular routine exercise. Physical inactivity is a top cause of mortality. You know, so you're dying sitting on that couch all the time. But, you know, the benefits of being physically fit and exercising regularly, I feel like, are endless. Uh, They're both physiological and psychological. And, you know, we we associate fat loss with aerobic and muscle gain from anaerobic, for examples. But really, the benefits come from either there's, you know, advantages and benefits to both. And, and we should be doing a little bit of both. So I put together this list, at least high-level list of benefits that I hope motivate you further when you begin to explore your exercise routines and what you want to be doing. So, you know, these first two are tried and true, and we all know them. The first one is losing weight, right? Burning those calories, creating a caloric deficit, you know, moving more to burn more calories that we're, than we're taking in losing weight. Uh, the other big one is, you know, building muscle and there's a, you know, there's a couple of side things that come out of building lean muscle. One is that you're speeding up your metabolism when you build lean muscle. And of course that lean muscle is what helps you burn the calories. Uh, some other benefits is one that's talked about, which is important for that heart health is decreasing blood pressure. And, you know, that's going directly towards reducing the heart disease. Um, This is extremely important for everyone, but especially if you have heart disease and issues that run in your family, for example. Exercise can really help improve those numbers and get that heart to a healthy point. You know, doing regular exercise can improve and even reverse Uh, both things like arthritis and diabetes. It's even said to help cancer in some ways, in fact. But arthritis and diabetes, you can can have a direct positive impact on with that regular exercise. Uh, Exercise boosts energy. It reduces stress. I can't tell you how great I feel when I get back, whether it's a simple two-mile, two-and-a-half-mile walk, slinging some weights around, whatever it is. It's a great outlet for stress. So reducing stress is a big one for me. Uh, It increases your endurance and stamina. You can do things for longer because you've gotten into this regular routine of exercise and now you can stand more for extended periods of time. Um, And of course, you know, with that, you're reducing uh, fatigue. And, you know, the, the reduction of fatigue is kind of one benefit that happens more over time, but certainly a benefit nonetheless uh, protects the joints. Um, this is because, you know, whatever activity you're doing, you're, you're building and strengthening all the stuff around those joints, uh, which is important, right? Those joints make us move, help us move, right? Um, you know, increasing both flexibility and mobility, which are not the same. Uh, That's another one you might want to look up to. Sometimes those words are used interchangeably and they're not. Uh, Mobility, uh, flexibility has to do with elongating and stretching of things, more pliable, more flexible. Uh, Mobility incorporates the joints and all the things around those joints. Two separate things, but nonetheless very important. Another benefit is that it maintains and in some cases can even build bone density and mass. You know, when you're lifting heavy, that puts a lot of strain on the bones. And over time, that helps strengthen and build the bones just like it does the muscles. Obviously, it's not the same, but there's a real benefit in bone health there. Uh, and, And working out, you know, I think this ties into... Um, the reduction of stress, certainly, but it increases endorphins. And this is another challenge. I'll ask you to go look up where endorphins come from. There's a couple of places that are primarily responsible for release, releasing endorphins into our system. But, you know, endorphins are responsible for things like pleasure and pain management, social connection, motivation, and more. 
I mean, honestly, once I get to working out, I want to keep going. And I know that's the endorphin speaking, right? So a lot of benefits and triggering those good chemicals. Uh, if you're working out regularly, you're going to get a better night's sleep. I, I can almost guarantee that. <laughs> so improved sleep is certainly a benefit of working out, of exercise. Uh, you are increasing your lactic threshold. Now, we talked a little bit about an anaerobic activity where you're burning uh, the glucose, right? And when you burn glucose, the output of that is lactic acid. So the more you do over time, and this is why I said reducing uh, fatigue kind of takes time and comes with time, is that the more exercise you do, the more resistance training, the more anaerobic you do over time, you can increase that lactic threshold, meaning it's taking longer for the lactic acid to get built up in your muscles and therefore it takes longer for you to get tired that's really the simple way of looking at that uh, it increases your vo2 max now what is that you ask well this is a point where i'm going to ask you to go look this one up too so you want to look up your v your victor o as an ostrich two, the number two max vo2 max is very important especially if you have ambitions of being a an athlete and even not you know exercise and this is especially true for me and i'll tell you why it's a good way for uh to develop injury protection um you know strong muscles mean your structure your bone structure is being better supported as an example and, and and therefore you know it's being better protected and i have issues with my lower back and have for a number of years ago i think i lifted up big wooden table once and popped my lower back and pinched a nerve i'm not i'm not sure what and i'd say once to twice a year it'll go out on me um and it's not fun uh at all and i've kind of found ways to manage that through ice therapy and smr but anyway uh the irony is is that when I've lifted my heaviest, for example, doing squats and deadlifts, just as two examples, when I've lifted the heaviest weight when I've worked out in my past, I never had any of those back issues. My back never went out. And it's because I'm constantly strengthening those support muscles around my spine, thus better holding things in place. And so that's that's just a huge benefit for me that I've taken away. And I need to remember that when I, when I slack off my exercise routine, uh, one, one specific to hit. So I mentioned, uh, H I I T high intensity interval training is a great or a form of anaerobic activity. And, um, I'm going to give you another thing to look up here in a second, but, um, the benefits of HIT, if you will, are extended calorie burn, and that is because of EPOC. So I want you to look up E as an elephant, P as in Paul, O as an ostrich, and C as in Charlie. Look up EPOC. Uh, because of the EPOC, you're able to continue burning calories long after you've stopped working out, which is a big selling point of high-intensity interval training. And the last one that I'm going to mention, which ties into the whole personal safety self-defense thing, is that you're better able to manage your response to your ANS. And we'll talk more about that. It's A-N as in Nancy S, ANS. Um, and therefore, uh, why is that important? Well, you're able to better cope with and manage your uh, uh, fight, flight, or freeze response, which is extremely important in your self-defense plan. And we'll talk more about that here uh, in just a minute. So, you know, we're here today to talk about why it's important, why physical fitness is important to your personal safety and preparedness plan. Well, why is physical fitness important to self-defense? And why is anaerobic exercise important to your overall exercise plan? Well, self-defense is an example of an anaerobic activity. Your body goes anaerobic. Uh, you'll be getting tired very quickly uh, to the point of and getting to the point of exhaustion unless you're training and, you know, specifically training anaerobically. And 
remember when you're scared, when you're frightened, when you're suddenly ambushed, whatever triggered those mechanisms, you know, you're dealing with a massive dump of chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol, your uh and and you're also dealing with a giant spike in heart rate and so there's no good way that your body can possibly use oxygen you know you can think of anaerobic activity as explosive powerful for a very short period of time you know this is self-defense situation scenarios are not an exercise in in marathons you know it's not a marathon race it's a sudden dump of chemicals and heart rate and all this stuff you're dealing with and so you know you're not able to feed off of oxygen like you would in cart regular cardio so as i mentioned due to being scared and fear you've got this massive dump of adrenaline and cortisol which has all kinds of effects on your body. And you might want to look that up as well. Um, you know, and you're dealing with a lot of things all at one time that you're having to combat, you know, in addition to the scenario itself, as I've mentioned, high blood pressure is going to be huge. You're going to most likely experience auditory exclusion, which means you basically go almost deaf. You've probably heard of stories of police officers firing shots and not being able to recount the number of shots they took because they didn't hear the shots go off. That's hard to believe, but that auditory exclusion is what causes that. Uh, you develop tunnel vision. You know, some have described it like looking through uh, paper towel tubes cardboard paper toweling tubes uh, you lose uh, there's a loss of fine motor skills you know they talk about the importance of dialing 911 well under stress it's more difficult to dial a phone than you think that's why a lot of smartphones make accessing 911 easier at least in some cases and there's some apps out there that do the same because we know that you lose those fine motor skills and it's all about gross motor skills which also plays in role in a role in the types of uh, self-defense moves you need to be focusing on those gross motor skills nothing that requires detailed movement um, there is, I know I read some time ago that, you know, a sudden shock, fear, whatever may even decrease our IQ in those scenarios some. So we're not going to be thinking straight. Um, we're not going to be performing our self-defense techniques exactly the perfect way we might have done in class the night before, for example. All of that is subject to go out the window. And then some other things. Um, like your eyes dilate it's all about self-protection you know our bodies have been doing this thing um this fight flight or freeze and this uh, physiological undertaking for hundreds if not thousands of years it's a self-protection mechanism that we all have so our eyes will dilate and the goal there would be to let more light in um, just as an example. And then, you know, something else that occurs that, uh, again, under self-preservation, all your blood primarily goes to your core and your primary organs to protect them. Right. And there's some other things that happen too, but those are some big issues that you're dealing with and that are generated from the autonomic nervous system remember i mentioned that earlier the ans autonomic nervous system so i want you to look that up too um, there's two aspects of the ans that control fight flight or freeze and this is where physical being physic better physically fit and where your routine exercise your routine anaerobic exercise is going to really help you better uh, regulate or control the control the chemicals that are causing the stress and potentially causing you to freeze up right we we get caught up sometimes in the fight or flight but the third aspect is freeze and that's what we're trying to avoid so regular exercise can help us better regulate and control some of those chemical stress induced responses that our bodies may otherwise have and the other reason why anaerobic exercise is important is because, again, as I mentioned previously, as a benefit, it can really help reduce those lactic acid thresholds. And that translates directly or correlates directly 
into uh, increasing the amount of time it takes for us to get tired, which in a self-defense life and death scenario becomes extremely important. And, you know, with that being said, exercise in general can help you uh, get those chemicals under control and giving you the ability to better uh, respond physically and mentally with those with all those chemicals being dumped. Again, we've got adrenaline and cortisol, these things going on with our ANS, you know, exercise can help us better manage. Therefore, we can think through the scenarios better and be able to better respond. And in a self-defense scenario, that's really what it's about. So, you know, just to touch upon an example of where we can see this being utilized effectively, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to toot the horn too much here, but I am a fan of Krav Maga and I've trained in it quite a bit. And if you take, you know, so I'm speaking about this firsthand. So, you know, Krav's philosophy, at least relative to physical fitness, is that they believe one should train from the point of being tired or more fatigued. So if you've ever taken a Krav class or if you have not, I will tell you that the first 10 to 15 minutes of most any class is going to start off with some rigorous uh, activity. Uh, warm-up routines and exercise, right? And they're generally going to be anaerobic. It's going to spike your heart rate really quickly. It's going to get you up there so that when you start working on those techniques, you're working from a place of being tired already because that's as close that, as they can get you without you actually experiencing fear in class, which is kind of hard to generate. So the idea is, is that it's getting your mind and your body more accustomed to what it's going to go through should you find yourself in a situation where you're having to defend yourself. So that's one example where I think they're doing things right or better uh, relative to incorporating physical fitness and the goal being to get you used to the idea of responding when you are tired. I think an area that needs probably more focus, and I know it happens some, But for those of you that have guns for self-defense, I think there's an opportunity to try to incorporate some of that heart rate spiking sudden uh, activity um, into your shooting. Um, Because if if you have to use a gun, you're not going to be doing it from a low heart rate and calm perspective, right? Like, I know some of you got a gun because you feel like you're not physically able to defend yourself. And that may be because you're, you're overweight more than you want to, or that may just be because you've never worked out for a day in your life, or it's been a while since you have, and you think a gun's going to be your answer, but it's not because guess what? You're not going to be shooting that gun in a self-defense scenario from a low heart rate and calm point you are going to go through the same things, the same chemical changes, the same physiological changes in your body that everyone else does. And so how are you going to be prepared to handle that? So when it comes to exercise and getting started with your physical fitness plan, how do you get started? Where do you go? What do you do? Well, first off, especially if you've never worked out, Or maybe it's been a super long time since the last time you have, or you know you have a health issue, you need to see a physician first and get cleared for exercise. Uh, You know you best, so see that physician if you have any doubts at all. And these are in no particular order, but next I'm going to say you need to find your motivations, whether you want to lose weight, you want to get back in shape again, you want to be around to play uh, with your kids when they get older, or you just want to be able to go out in the yard and play with your kids. Um, And then once you find your motivations, you need to be prepared and go about it in a disciplined manner. And that discipline is what's going to see you through and carry you through day after day after day motivations will sometimes fade or change discipline is what you need and it's on you to figure that out and you know i saw something recent from mike tyson there's a quote from mike tyson and he said that discipline for him and i'm paraphrasing don't hold me to it exactly but he said that discipline for him is doing the things he hates as though he loves them and i should say doing the things he hates and doing them, doing the things he hates like he loves them. 
And I think that's a good way to describe discipline because there's going to be days you go out to run that jog, however long it's going to be. There's going to be days where it's deadlift or squat day or whatever it is, uh, jumping rope. There's going to be days where you simply do not want to do it. You're dreading it. And those are the times that it's going to be incumbent on you to push through and do it anyway. Um, and I'm going to say this for the guys out there, especially the younger guys. And look, if you're bodybuilding and such, that's great. Okay. But I still think this holds true. And I think I learned this from my, well, I know I learned this from my NASM days. So I'm just going to say it when it comes to weightlifting and resistance training and doing weightlifting as your chosen anaerobic exercise activity, you know, the tendency is just go straight to the weights and start working out. And in some cases, I know guys like to go to the gym and start trying to lift as heavily as humanly possible. And I, I understand that and I get it. And if you're trying to bodybuild and all that, there's a place for that. But I would recommend, especially if you're just starting out for the first time or you're getting back to it after a long time, I would recommend starting out with balance and stability training and getting those support systems in place to better support the heavy lifting that you want to do at some point in the future. So start with stability and balance, and you can find a lot of stability and balance activities out on the interwebs, uh, videos, and everything else imaginable. I would recommend, and I've been going through this myself for the last few months, I'd recommend starting slow and ease into it, whatever you do. Don't try to go all out from the get-go, because especially if you're older, you're more susceptible to injury. you got to work up to injury protection, and it's not going to be there from day one. So slow, So slow and easy to start out. But always working with the goal in mind that you're going to start going at it a little bit more and more, adding the weights, adding the reps, adding the distance, adding the time, whatever it is, start out and ease into it, but maintain the goal of doing more and getting to the point where you want to be. And with that being said, do what's sustainable. Do what is sustainable. For example, if you are used to lifting super heavy weights, you probably don't want to start there because you're not going to be able to maintain that for yourself, right? And then you're going to get discouraged or worse yet, as I mentioned, you might get injured and then you're going to have to stop altogether unless you really want to overdo it. You know, so that's probably not sustainable. So again, ease into it. You know, and again, if you were once a marathon runner, but it's been, you know, three years since you ran your last marathon, you're probably not going to start day one running 26 miles, right? That's just not feasible. And that training regimen isn't sustainable. So have some common sense about how you go about it and figure out what is sustainable for you. Again, you know you best. And I would recommend maybe starting with, if you're just getting started, I'd maybe recommend one day of anaerobic activities and two days of cardio and then figure out what you need to add as you go along, right? Over time, you can build on that, but that might be a good place to start. One day of anaerobic and two days of cardio or aerobic activity. And we're not going to talk about diet a whole lot here. I, I read years ago and I forget who said it. But I thought it was brilliant, you know, and again, I'm paraphrasing, so don't hold me to it. But it said, if a book has been written about a diet, it's probably garbage. And I tend to think whoever that was that said that is right, because it's more about lifestyle. But anyway, I'm not going to get into diet here, but I will say this. Diet is an important piece about it, especially if your goal is weight loss, which I know for a lot of us is the case when it comes to our exercise routine. And I'll say this, pick something about your diet that you think needs to change. And I can think of two perfect examples for you. Say you drink a lot of soda. I know a lot of folks that drink liters upon liters of Diet Coke on a daily basis. If you want to make a high impact to your diet without a lot of change, reduce or eliminate one thing. So if you drink a lot of soda, at very least look to cut it back significant, but try to just cut it out altogether. 
And maybe that's a little bit over time, right? Maybe you cut back to start and then you eliminate it, right? Same with breads and pastas. Breads and pastas, a little bit here and there is just fine. Like everything else, moderation, right? But if you know you're a bread hog, look again to eliminate bread. Just that one thing. And again, ease into it. It's about easing in. So reduce it and then work to eliminate just that one thing. You'll be surprised if it's beer and you think that's what you want to give up, you know, reduce it at the very least and try to get to the point of eliminating it. Whatever it is, find that one thing again, ease into it and do it in a sustainable manner that works for you. One of the most important pieces of advice and all of these are, but you know, when it comes, especially when you're just starting out and even for those of us that have been going at it for a while, only ever compete against yourself and never compare yourself to others and what others might be doing or what others might have accomplished. You are only and should only ever compete against yourself. That's your greatest motivation. Um, there will always, I can almost guarantee it, I've been around a while, and I'm sure most of you will agree, there will always be someone bigger, faster, and or stronger. Always. So only compete against yourself. One of the things that I'll tell you in getting started and maintaining, if you've been going for a while, and something that works for me tremendously is always think about your accomplishments and not how much further you have to go. I find that if you get caught up in how much longer, how much more distance, how much more time, how many more reps, it's an easy way to get discouraged. For me, and I think it might work for you too, always think in terms of how far you've come. So for an example, if I go out for a jog and I'm only a quarter of a mile in, and I'm just using a random example, don't think about the 1.7 miles you've got left to accomplish your two-mile jog or walk for the day. Think about the fact that you've come a quarter of a mile or X percent of the distance or X percent of the reps, you know, whatever it is you're doing, look at what you've accomplished and not how much more you've got to go. And I find that goes a long way in keeping me energized and motivated in the activity in the moment. And last but not least, because this one's killed me so I can speak firsthand, try not to take off more than one day at a time. You need time off especially if you're just starting out, um, especially after a day of heavy lifting, if, if and when you get to that point, you need to take days off for recover. You need to take days off to recoup and rest. There might be occasions where you need or have to take two for whatever reason, but I don't recommend getting to that point, and I certainly don't recommend going past two. The reason being, going back to what I said earlier, is you might take, two days off and suddenly you're watching movies and now it's two weeks and then it's two months and then next thing you know it's two or three years since the last time you went for a walk or picked up a weight you don't want to find yourself there i have to keep going so i recommend not taking more than a day or two off at absolute most and i think that those bit those points will get you started and you know, um, are a great way to stay motivated and see things as you're going on your journey. And look, and just to touch upon this again, because it's an important piece when we talk self-defense and I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a gun supporter for those and listen up for those that carry a gun to defend yourself. I'm going to tell you that regardless of any fit physical fitness or exercise you're doing, get some training for yourself or at least be sure that if you're caring for self-defense purposes that you're at the very least shooting regularly i believe you should get training but at the very least you need to be shooting regularly because it's a depreciating skill it's not like riding a bike and if you take time off from shooting i'm sure you know what i mean um you know just because you own a gun and have a gun doesn't mean you're ready to use it or use it well. 
uh, doesn't mean you can't use it if you had to. It just means that you're not going to do as well as if you had some training or if you're shooting regularly. So that's first and foremost. Now, with that being said, getting back on the subject of hand, which is exercise, as far as exercise goes, you know, the next time you go to the gym, try doing some jumping jacks or some push-ups or some short sprints back and forth behind the firing line uh, if they don't look at you like they're crazy. And even if they do, who cares? Or God forbid, get in there and do some burpees in your lane, right? The, and, and, then, and, then, and then try to shoot. Um, watch how... Watch how your heavy breathing and your suddenly increased heart rate really impact your concentration and your ability to shoot accurately. Uh, with that being said, there are more than likely many ranges that are not going to be really happy with you doing that sort of thing out on the range, although I would hope they wouldn't care if someone was doing jumping jacks uh, in their booth, whatever, or behind the booth. But that's okay because um, you can do those activities at home and then you can do dry firing, whether you're uh, dry firing, you know, do some jumping jacks and then try dry firing at the target on the wall with the corner with the uh, sorry, not the corner, the quarter on the front sights, you know, see if you can still squeeze off those rounds the way you would when you're in perfectly resting heart rate with no elevated breathing or heart rate. Try to see if you can't shoot. And then if you're using a laser system for your dry firing, you should really be able to see the impact of that uh, elevated breathing and heart rate and how it uh, and, and how it drives the need to focus more and really take into account what's going to happen to you in a real self-defense scenario so that's the advice i'd give for those that are using or expect to use or are carrying a gun for self-defense and last but not least, I want to touch upon uh, stretching and self-myofacial release and breathing. I, I would be remiss not to talk about stretching and breathing at the very least, which can help you prepare for any exercise that you do as well as, you know, recover from it. So, you know, stretching, that's kind of a, a, a no-brainer there. Ideally, you should be stretching both before and after any exercises that you do. Um, and a number of years ago, and I don't know where things have settled out, but I've kind of taken on a, a philosophy myself. There was some discussion for years and years. It was about stretching before all exercises, stretching before weightlifting, stretching before jogging, stretching before anything. And a lot of times stretching involves static stretching, meaning there's no movement of the limbs or the joints as you stretch. You're just you know, pressing your calves down in the floor, what, whatever the exercise is, doing your thigh stretches, whatever, versus dynamic where you've introduced some movement, whether you're doing side-to-side -side lunges, for example, or you're doing, um, you know, circles with your arms. Those are a couple of simple examples I can think of of dynamic stretching. There was some debate, topic, choices, whatever you want to, I don't know how to say it. There was some discussion a number of years back that static stretching really shouldn't be done prior to serious exercise activity. Uh, and I think it mostly had to do with uh, anaerobic activity, for example. So weightlifting as a prime example. The argument was that with static stretching, you could run the risk of overstretching the um, um, the primary moving muscles and thus allowing the antagonistic muscles to potentially impact negatively the output of your weightlifting, for example, just to stick with that example. So there was a recommendation that you should consider moving to dynamic stretching uh, so to avoid overstretching those muscles and potentially avoiding negative impact and most important injury and then after your routine static stretching was certainly okay i don't know where the conclusion has fallen out you'll probably find people of varying opinions as you do everything i know there are some people that i used to train that were upset if i was skipping static straining, uh, training before class or static 
uh, stretching before class. Sorry. Um, I think that dynamic starting out with dynamic stretches, um, again, forward lunges with a side twist, uh, movement side to side lunges, for example, just to stick with those examples, I think starting out with dynamic stretching is probably a better route to go overall, especially when you're going to be doing things like weightlifting or running or jogging. Let's talk about self-myofascial release briefly. If you have not discovered the miracle of SMR, self-myofascial release, I highly recommend it. Whether you get yourself some balls or rollers, they make everything. There's a bunch of brands out there. Uh, Trigger Point was the big one at one point, I think still is, but there's a lot of brands, a lot of different size and type balls, hardnesses, textures, same with rollers, right? And you should find a way to incorporate SMR into your routine, ideally, again, both before and after your exercise routine. I primarily do it after. In fact, I do a lot of my stretching and yoga and SMR in the evenings before I go to bed. But SMR is a great way to break up those knots, you know, those muscle knots, those nodes down in the fibers of the muscle is actually what you're breaking up when you roll whether you use a roller or ball, it all depends on what area of the body you're trying to get to and how much pain you can stand. I will tell you that you should go easy with SMR, especially if you're new to it, because it can be painful, but it's painful because it's getting in there and breaking up those nodes, which is causing the issues in the muscles to begin with. And you can overdo it. So I would just caution you there to, you know, to expect it. It's not going to be, you know, it's going to be like a deep tissue massage at the end of the day, except you're doing it to yourself. It's fantastic. And last but not least, I want to talk about breathing, the importance of breathing. And honestly, this can be um, getting yourself ready for exercise, meditation, recovery, I even find myself doing some techniques while I'm exercising because it breaks up my mind and makes me concentrate on something else. But breathing is really important. Um, And breathing uh, can help tremendously in stressful situation. In fact, one of the breathing techniques is um, called combat breathing. And you basically take a breath in down into your belly for a count of four seconds You hold it for another four seconds, and then you let it out for four seconds. And at the bottom of that, you know, as you've let all the air out, you hold that for four seconds before you take in another four-second breath. So that's the cycle. It's a four, 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 four routine. And it's actually, at least in some circles, labeled as combat. And the idea is is that it's an opportunity to change your focus to reduce the stress potentially to, you know, make you think about something else and really bring yourself back to a point of being centered and calm and more calm again. You know, another technique that I like is the six, seven, eight. You take a breath in for six seconds. Again, breathing down into your belly. This is about deep breathing, not just shallow chest up top breathing, but really taking in deep breaths. You take in a breath for six seconds. You hold it for seven seconds. And then you release it over the course of eight seconds. And then you take in another, your next six seconds. So again, you're doing rounds of these and, Yeah, you're probably thinking, how many rounds of combat breathing or the six, seven, eight that I do? Depending on what you're going through and what you're dealing with and how stressed out you are, maybe, um, you know, I would recommend a minimum of three rounds, but probably more like five to six. I think I tend to do about five rounds. And even that just really helps me refocus and center. And then a basic breathing technique that you can even try to focus and concentrate on when you're in the middle of jogging or walking or working out is just this notion of taking a short breath in through your nose. So say anywhere from two to four seconds of a breath in through the nose and then letting it out for a longer count through the mouth. So maybe you take a breath in for two or three seconds and then letting it out for a longer period than you breathed in for. So for example, if I breathed in through my nose for four seconds, 
I'm going to try to let that breath out over the course of, say, eight seconds. I, I personally work to at least double my time. That seems to work for me. But the goal is, I don't care, breathe in through your nose for four seconds and let it out for six. It doesn't have to be double the time. That's just what I do. The goal is to breathe in for a shorter period of time through your nose and then take longer to exhale through your mouth. Breathing is really great uh, to calm down, uh, to to recover, and then really just get yourself back to a state of relaxation and centering. Okay, so over the course of this podcast, we've given you a lot of homework assignments, several things to go and look up on your own accord, VO2 max, um, epoch, uh, endorphins and where they come from and a few others. What I'd like to do now is give you a challenge. And this challenge is especially for those that haven't gotten started yet on their physical fitness uh, journey. Uh, or maybe it's just been a long time since you've worked out. You know, it's just been a while and you're thinking you need to get back into it. Well, I'm here to tell you you need to get back into it. So my challenge to you is to go walk one mile today. Now you're saying, Jim, there's no way I can do that. I'm 450 pounds. I haven't done any such thing. Okay, that's fine. Pick yourself a goal and just do it. But go walk a mile today. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, I don't have time. We'll make it because you're never going to have time otherwise. So you've always got to make time for yourself and your exercise. Um, if you don't know where a mile is, Go get, uh, there's a down a free, they've got a paid version too, but there's a free app called RunKeeper. I use it on occasion when I want to know mileage or what my route was. It also gives you elevation, but just to determine where that half mile marker is, because you only need to go to a half mile because you're going to go there and back, and that's for one mile, right? You can use RunKeeper. Uh, I think Google Maps has a walking option, so it should give you distance. And I think even Waze, uh, has a walk option. I'm not entirely sure. Look, man, worse comes to worse, get in your car and use your odometer and drive a half a mile and figure it out. It doesn't have to be down to the, the yard anyway. So just find the half mile mark, walk there and back. And, and that's your first mile. And then walk further if you like it, or you know you get past the point of wanting to pass out, huffing and puffing, you know, keep going and then come back, whatever it is. And then maybe along the way, you decide to start picking up some weight while you're at it and doing that. So hopefully, you've now been convinced of just how important your physical fitness is to your personal safety and preparedness plan. And I will leave you with this. It doesn't matter if you push to progress or you push to progress, so long as you're doing something. So get out there and move. Thanks for listening.